This song just makes a smile to my face. It's hard not to be happy with this song. That was the point of it, Rich. It's about all need some happiness after embracing these turbulent times, these turbulent markets, and just putting a smile on our face. I would like a cocktail in my hand while I'm listening to this, though. I know it's a little early. Did this come from that movie Cocktail, or did was it on the soundtrack? I know I'm taking I'm taking us way back. Tom Cruise, a good Tom Cruise movie. I remember that movie. We have one coming up. Be happy. Well, welcome everyone to episode 106 of the Light Shed Podcast. Richard Greenfield, Walter Pisick, and Brandon Ross trying to lift your spirits on the 13th of Friday, Friday the 13th, 2022. Good afternoon, guys, or good morning. It's not quite afternoon yet. Oh, was that a COVID cough? I do not have... I think I'm immune. I just, I try really hard. I just can't seem to get COVID no matter how many groups I'm with. I mean, I went to a chorus concert last night, everyone unmasked in a gymnasium. Like if you can't get COVID in a chorus concert, where else can you get, can't get COVID? Give it two days, Rich. (laughs) There is, there is an incubation period. Friday the 13th at my high school was open season on freshmen. (laughs) Includes some locking um stuffings in lockers swirlies do you know what a swirly is rich i do not but you're gonna tell me you know right what now. a swirly is um, well why don't you go ahead and i think it's rich no, is familiar with a swirly because he probably got a bunch of them that doesn't know that it is what the name implies go ahead walt the freshman is grabbed by their legs and head <laughs> inserted into toilet bowl as it, the toilet bowl is flushed hence the swirly Got it. That would not happen in today's schools, I'm sure. But <laughs> let's not deny past facts. Um, and and why was that the Friday the Thirteenth thing? Just I mean, Friday because... the Thirteenth is you know it's kind of a known horror movie, teen horror movie type of thematic, right? I don't know. It's like black cats and Friday the Thirteenth. So, so it's sort when of I was fits. a freshman. I I think I mean I was just hiding that entire day. It was. It's it was scary. So if you I'm gonna, were so big though. Why did you have to hide? Um, you couldn't hold your own against the seniors. Definitely not. Huh? So if if Friday the thirteenth, I guess it's appropriate for our first slide, which you know Elon Musk. I guess this morning, sort of. I don't know if he's playing a joke. I don't know what the little game was this morning, but certainly scaring the daylights out of, or maybe a horror show for Twitter investors where he tweeted out earlier this morning, Twitter deal temporarily on hold pending details supporting calculation that spam and fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. And then a little while later tweeting out, nope, but still committed to the acquisition. I, I don't even actually know what those two tweets back together. Like, I'm not sure why the premise of the deal was based on the calculation of spam and fake well, accounts. Well, maybe it was a, a deal term, right? So if it maybe. wasn't, it, well, I mean- Look, who knows? Because obviously Elon says a lot of different stuff, but that's that's what I would infer from that tweet that that is a deal term that would enable him in his mind to back out. But the reality is, like, he could basically just pack out and pay the billion dollars if he wanted to back out. And this really just brings back a topic that we've um, discussed in for the last five weeks since this has started, which is, is it going to close or not? And this could just simply be a, a deal renegotiation, price lower. There was, I think, a lot of emphasis behind that. There was a, some some firm that came out and said short Twitter on that theory. Seems logical. You have them kind of the board, I think, has played this extremely poorly. I don't know, Rich, you might have a different opinion. Well, um, no, actually, I was going to actually show our second slide because I think, or sorry, not the, the well, second part of that slide, because firing, you know, this is from Rat King, Mike Isaac, uh, Twitter account. He tweets just out. complete the thought there, though, for a second before okay. we go to the yeah. next Yeah, I, I don't think we're ready for the next tweet yet. But <laughs> yeah. well, I have, let's have a discussion about whether or why Elon would be able to or might want to renegotiate the deal down in these or, turbulent markets that we have to be happy. Don't worry, be happy about. Or what is option number two, Brandon? That if it's not a deal negotiation, what else could it be? If it's not a deal negotiation, pl- a, to get a lower out? price, correct. 
I don't think it's a back out, but why wouldn't he want to get a lower price? No, no, there were no other bidders. I agree with you, but I think, and we all agreed last week and the week before that, that we thought it was going to close, but there are certainly people today that are saying this is, this is, this is the sign that he is flaking out of the deal and he's, he wants to back Like he just got bored with it. You know, he realized it was going to be too much of a hassle and it's going to back out. I, I, you know, I don't think that that's the case, but it's certainly an option. I'll give evidence as to why that's not the case. If you um, followed along the news and there's this new layer of financing that's been negotiated all week for the preferred shares, it seems like, you know, he's Elon's proceeding with trying to get the deal done, but what he's doing, and I think we brought this up last week, is A, de-risking himself from the deal. So continues to not post to post less and less collateral. So as he was able to bring the equity uh, investors in, he was able to half the um, margin loan that he had with Morgan Stanley. And now as he wants to add a pref layer, he lower the uh, margin loan amount and, and shift the risk to somebody else there too. So he's taking risk off even while buying. And why wouldn't he renegotiate? I mean, at this point, the whole rest of the market is gotten crushed since this deal was announced, especially in digital media. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if this really has an impact materiality-wise, but you know, he purchased Bitcoin on the balance sheet of Tesla. Um, Tesla's stock has has gotten <laughs> creamed, as has Bitcoin. Got about so, like. <laughs> I mean, so it's just kind of that's some real arc. That's like owning double arc. <laughs> so it's just kind of a triple arc. Triple arc. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff that incrementally has happened, but but at a minimum, yeah, you you definitely want to. And again, I think if you went back four or five weeks ago, Rich, I think you didn't think that the board would accept fifty four dollars, and I think the board proved who they were. And what the situation was, and then I think Twitter subsequently reported. I don't. It didn't. I don't feel like those were great numbers. Maybe you disagree. Um, so, like, you know, kind of who the board is. So, like, why not just twist them a little bit further? Well, I guess the one thing I would just say is that. Um, yeah, well, I, I have to pull up this other slide because I think it all relates. Okay, yeah, let's go. Well, now. No, I think maybe, we're ready for it because well, it, you're right; it does relate because because well, I, I if you were if you really thought Elon was walking, right? Exactly. If you were worried, if you were worried about Elon walking, and you thought no deal was going to happen, I don't mean a lower price deal, but if you thought no deal was happening, who in the world literally walks in and fires in the middle of all of this? Fires their head of product and their head of ad product, like. There is complete chaos inside of Twitter right now from an employee standpoint. Like nobody, it's, that's why I put the Forrest Gump ping pong behind me. Like nobody knows coming, going, no one knows who's in charge, what's happening. So to get rid of two of your top product guys, whether you thought they were the best guys or not right now, the best people for these job right now or not, to do it right now, if you really thought Elon was about to walk away, seems like a very odd bargaining chip for the board. Like the board seems like they're in a worse position to bargain as they're losing employees than otherwise, like having, you know, interim heads of these positions or whatever. Didn't it seem like Kayvon did, sorry. Um, Walt, um, didn't it seem like Kayvon did the best kind of job from a product perspective of like anyone they've ever had there. And for him, was it just because he was maybe against the Elon and this is Parag doing a, a CYA here just in case so that he could stick around. It's like, I'll get rid of all the, you know, anti-Elon uh, people, and please let me have my job because I've only been CEO for like five minutes and I haven't gotten paid yet. I mean, Twitter Spaces is doing pretty darn well, I have to say. Like, you know, it's, I, I mean, I do think that there's been some good product innovation. Is it the pace? No, pace has not been as good. But I, you know, I, it's hard to know how much of that falls on, you know, sort of management agenda, board, etc. But again, I just keep coming back to if I'd love to get your opinion. How do you do this right now? It just feels like this weakens because the board. You don't know because you're assuming that they know. Why would they know? They've, they've been wrong so many times before. You're saying like, oh, 
if they thought he was going to walk, they wouldn't do this. Like, well, <laughs> maybe they are going to, they're going to fuck up again. And they do this and they disrupt the company and he walks <laughs> and like, it is what it is. Yeah. It could Why be. do they have some special knowledge? No, I, I just, mean, they're it, the ones that have been jerked around. You would just think you would keep your team. If you really thought this deal was going to close in the next few months, like if you were really worried about this deal, not closing, wouldn't you keep your team just to see it through to like, because you wanted to have a team in place in case he walks away versus having to go figure out, isn't it going to be very Again, hard? That's it, you. And you're yeah. assuming that because of who they are, that they're going to make the right decision. And this is the same argument we've been having for five fair. weeks. That's very fair. I think that, I mean, it feels like more of a panic move than anything else by Parag to cover his own ass. Yeah. Sorry. And sometimes what happens, it's kind of like sports and momentum. Like once you're like, once you're behind and you're missing shots and you're catching up, like it's just, Pressing. yeah, it's called the wheels are coming off. The wheels are coming off. They don't know what to do. I guess that's the takeaway, right? So if the wheels are starting to come off, you're seeing all of these sort of strange moves. If you were Elon, it sort of just opens the door to like, why wouldn't you just say, okay, 45? Well, I think there's a more obvious price that he's going to make. $4.21? No, 42.0. What's the be. stock at now? Uh, stock is trading forty one fifty two. <laughs> right now, right now, it's literally okay. trading forty one fifty two as we speak. All right, so I like to ask questions on this topic to get everyone's opinion on the tape. <laughs> Let's assume that Elon bids forty, drops his bid to forty two spot zero. Would the board take <laughs> forty two spot zero? Yeah, the board would fucking take it. There were no there you other go. You've blown out your management team and weakened your, exactly. your hand in being able to negotiate. Exactly. So, right? the ARB, so the ARB should take this down 10% to that. So this stock should really be trading at what, 38, 37 right now? Yeah, probably. Because 42 is the number. 40, 42. <laughs> I mean, this is all just a mean. It was always thing. going to 42. It was always going to 42. I mean, like seriously though, it's not even a joke. His I have to switch. Was, his joke was fifty. His bid was fifty four twenty. Like, why wouldn't it go to forty two? And, and you right. just you just said the board, Rich. You didn't answer though. Would the board accept this board that you have such a high respect for? <laughs> <laughs> would they would they accept forty two? I mean, three weeks ago, I would have said no way. I know you. No, you in fact did say no but, way. But, yeah. but, Four or five but there weeks is. Ago. But, but but with the amount of things that are happening right now, um, I, I don't think there's Elon? any way they could say no. I don't think they okay, can. Good. Where's my Elon? Um, no, I switched my background to Friday the Thirteenth, and I want my Elon background back. Okay, well, I can't find the podcast it. of him token up. Yeah. Right, so we've got. Slide. We've got um, Wall Street Journal, Ben Mullen tweeting out Netflix in talks with the trade desk for ads push. And then we've got John Coblin um, saying Netflix is aiming to introduce its advertising tier by the end of the by the end of the year. Wow. Um, two things that are obviously interesting about that. Um, obviously, Reed Hastings talked about outsourcing, so it's not shocking that trade desk would make the most sense. We thought I always thought Roku was sort of an odd partner because Roku is sort of a platform that you wouldn't want to preference one versus the other, whereas Trade Desk is more um, agnostic. It is a little weird to use a third party. Obviously, it speeds Netflix to market. And I'm sure it's yeah, not the long term. It's, we- it's definitely not weird. I mean, they if you want to move quickly, they are coming from a complete standing start. Yep. They want to do this on a global basis. Don't forget Roku it, you know, has some international presence, but isn't global. Right, Trade Desk is the most equipped to uh, to handle this, and um, I don't know. You just you really do have to give props to Jeff Green, who's the CEO of Trade Desk, because I think it was like two or three years ago and when we made only Laura Martin was saying that Netflix was going to do ads. The other person who said it was Jeff Green, and that that would eventually, you know, be a nice tailwind for Trade Desk. And it came home. So, Jeff, you were right. Um, 
the interesting thing is that they sort of made it sound like ads was going to take a couple of years to really happen, certainly sort of late 2023. So it's interesting if if it's right, if the reporting is right, and this is really going to launch by the end of this year, and the password sharing is going to kick in between now overseas and sort of over the next year domestically. There's a couple of interesting tailwinds that, you know, it's interesting how, I mean, Netflix stock obviously just keeps going down, but because people yeah. are just sort of just completely pessimistic. But if the view is sort of 10% revenue growth this year and next, and these sort of new initiatives are going to start much earlier than people think, there's probably a good reason why they, why expectations are now just too low or too pessimistic. Well, wide. there's timing on that, Rich, right? We now all knew that the ad tier was coming in. We all knew that the password sharing lift is going to be there. And I think they talked to something like what 10% lift, you know, possibly from each. Um, so I, I wonder if it's that subscribers, they're less confident that they're going to grow total subscribers this year and that they need the boost earlier before you know you get to a situation where you print a negative sub year i don't know i mean it's just timing you were getting the boost anyway who gives a shit if it's like you know three months or six months in either direction does it really matter it just starts the you know i just think again there's it, it all ties together. My guess is you do an advertising tier as you launch password sharing, push crackdown because it makes it easier, lower cost for a subscriber to you know, get their own plan if you bring that cost down. like It makes a lot of sense to package the two together versus to do them separate. Hasn't the password sharing crackdown already begun? I mean, every account that I have on Netflix, I watch on multiple different devices and televisions and what have you, has required me to re-log in my my um, password in the, yeah, the past week but, or two. But the crackdown, just to be clear, the crackdown is going to be, so my daughter goes to college down in Florida, uh-huh. right? So she uses it on a big screen TV down there. She logs in. It's going to literally say to me or to her, this account is going to be charged an extra $5 a month because you're using a connected TV out of market. Right. Well, maybe phase one is people Correct. that you've old friends old girlfriends and boyfriends that might've gotten your password that they bounce them out and they force them to call you back and say, Hey, what's that password again? So maybe that's phase one and phase two is the more, I I guess you're talking about it, like a geofenced type of uh, crackdown. Yeah. IP address based crackdown, which is really what it is. So if you're on your mobile phone, obviously your IP address is changing. It's okay. They're not going to crack down on that. But in a you know steady in home, you're using it on a TV. You're tied to one IP address. That's how they get you, Correct. so that there's no confusion. Uh, so, by the way, Netflix. I'm just going to say this right now. Even with like kind of the you know the dead cap bounce we're experiencing in the market, stock is cheap right now. And like, I think they're going to, I mean, they're obviously going to probably grow more than 10% in the next You're missing couple the point. of years, You're especially missing the point. with these tailwinds. This is not about Netflix right now. This is about investors hate the entire sector. Like there is just, well, I think it, for it, is it the sector or is it the market? The market uh, like yeah, there's a lot let's of take, let's things. take a bigger step back, Rich. There's, I mean, for the first time in a long time, like you look across the screen and I wish that we could, you know, dip buy some of the things we know in our PA. It wasn't against our rules because there's cheap stocks out there. And in my world, where companies actually generate free cash flow, you're getting <laughs> empirical, you know, numbers in terms of free cash flow yields that should be attractive, even with rates, you know, being 100, 200 basis points higher. So that was sort of a dig at. Our whole sector of companies well, I mean, actually make money. Dude, no, it's just a difference. Did, did you know Roblox yeah. generates free cash flow? So does Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I know. Not a lot, but uh, how much? How much free cash flow does WBD? Well, obviously they generate cash. They flow. generate a lot. I know they do. They just have a lot of debt. Okay, I let's know. go to Ari. You lever, let's right? go to Ari Emanuel. So Ari Emanuel. Endeavor he looks reporting. very handsome in this picture here. Very handsome. So let's let's play a little audio <laughs> Is clip. That a current picture. Yeah, I think it is. Oh, okay. I once I, saw him at the Super Bowl um, pitching a client. He looked a little different. <laughs> no, he's in, he's in very good shape. 
We had dinner with him on our last trip, and he ate nice. only vegetables. Oh, good for him. He looks great. What hey, did he say? Like you, there are a lot, I mean, TV shows take between six months and a year to from start to finish. Movies are 18 months, sometimes two years. They're already locked in through 2023 um, and into the beginning of 2024. So the bottom line is, you know, as I, as I said, we are the proxy for content spend. It isn't decreasing because that's how on the fam side they get subs. They're all in the process of they, they've made these bets about being in the Xbox services and they're continuing to spend, but they also have to defend the legacy business and content is spreading out to podcasts and et cetera. So, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no idea why he's talking talk about podcasts at all. But, on the, but on the he makes call. a very salient point here. So like, let's get to it, Rich. Well, but he makes a point of, you know, content spending is locked in, which it is to a degree. It certainly yep. is. Obviously, and, Disney trimmed a billion dollars off, but you're talking yeah. about what, $33 billion of budget before. So they trimmed three lousy percent off of this year. No. And look, I think Netflix is probably pushing back on budget overages, right? They're cutting some projects earlier. There's no doubt that there is pruning in this environment as streaming slows down, losses pile up. But the, the sort of the, the, the missing piece of this is we've got companies like Apple that are rapidly ramping, like animation divisions at Skydance that they're working with, building out more content, working with Richard Plepler and that whole you know, joint venture that they have. Amazon is you know, really spending, I mean, think about it. Amazon sports. is launching sports as well as Thursday Night Football are both launching you know, are yeah. Lord of the Rings and Lord, Thursday Night Football this year. Like, Lord of the Rings was a bet from a long time ago. It seems like Amazon, the tack that they've decided to take is, hey, we're going to really push into sports. It's predictable. We know what we're going to get out of it. And we're not as great at, at making, uh, you know, scripted or even unscripted content. So let's just go with sports. That, right. It seems like Apple's really the one that is really pushing very, very hard into, um, um, into television and movies. Let's also step back to Disney, like Disney spending that even whether it's 33 or 32 billion, they're spending a lot more than last year, right? They are spending a lot more on Hulu content, a lot more on Disney plus content. So the overall content spend across sports, streaming, regular sports, general entertainment, all of that is certainly going up in 22 and 23. Now, is it a fair question that 24 and beyond could be down? The losses are piling up. And if the sort of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow isn't as attractive as it used to be, or doesn't seem like it's as attractive, will there be cutbacks over the next 12 or 18 months that impact 24, 25? It's possible. And I think that's probably what investors are more worried about. The odds that anything really happens in the next 18 months are, are to Ari's point, seem pretty hard to believe. So it's not a near-term risk, but I think it is a longer-term thesis question of at what point does Paramount keep spending more? Does Peacock? I mean, can Peacock no, lose $2.5 billion? Obviously, this isn't going to be up and to the right forever, great. Right? At some point, I mean, Rich, you keep pointing it out. There is a lot of dollar loss, and the what subscription ultimately looks like is probably a little less bullish we're seeing with this Netflix slowdown than what people thought before. So right. at some point, like you saw in linear television, what happened? Everyone was spending, spending, spending. We're going to differentiate ourselves. Then everyone hit the brakes and was like, oh, shit, this isn't going to be, you know, uh, profitable incremental spend. So I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to milk for cash and move on to the next thing. So at what point does the next thing start to peter out? That's we the just question. And we have no idea. And that's we the ultimate no question idea. in terms of multiples on the content producers and those who are leveraged to it. But Endeavor, by the way, also a pretty cheap stock right now. We have a lot of cheap stocks in media. And- yeah, I know. I know. So like, I'm not going to beat the drum. And also the other positive thing with Endeavor that I, I would say, like everyone is just like so hyper-focused on this content spend. There's two other, you know, real drivers of what's going on there. One is the contractual revenue that they have at UFC, which is, you know, we would think slated for 
um, an improvement in a couple of years when that deal is up, right? I don't know. And maybe pay-per-view buys go down in the recession because they are extremely expensive and some of the negotiating leverage yeah. flips. And the other is live events. And we've talked about this a lot with Live Nation. Like, every, like all the source of outperformance this quarter that they called out was their own live events and live events on representation. And we're about to go into a summer where live events are going to blow away numbers that you've ever seen before. So you probably have a little more tailwind in this year's numbers for Endeavor there. Now, 23, is this like, what are live events going to look like in 23? Who knows, right? Uh, are we having a real equal and opposite reaction to reopening? Um, to what extent? And um, I guess the other thing is like impact a recession, but doesn't look like there's anything slowing down anytime soon there. So we can move on. That was quite a speech, Brandon. I love it. Pretty passionate. You're so passionate about that. I'm, I'm a passionate kind of guy, Rich. But I want to just tie this in because we have this sort of, because it, it fits in with the sort of this sports rights, um, more bitter narrative of this is um, sort of unconfirmed, but we have the story at the, you know, Google joins Amazon in mulling a bid for broadcast rights. According of, to Harsh Apati. Correct. Uh, mulling a bid for the broadcast rights of IPL. And whether or not Google's actually a bidder, I think the key thing is, is that we're seeing more and more signs that Apple and Amazon are clearly more and more interested in sports rights. And I think, Brendan, you talked about last week on the podcast, Netflix potentially having some interest in sports rights, maybe cricket specifically, not in market, but there is. So uh, uh, about, I think the point I made up made last week is Netflix might have finally arrived internationally in terms of being interested in sports rights. Like WWE would be a perfect fit for Netflix in a market like India, not super expensive in the rights, like not, we're not talking about multiple billion, like the broadcast rights for IPL are probably going to go for a billion and a half dollars, right? Like, so they're probably not a bidder for those rights, but they might be a bidder for something like WWE. And you certainly could rationalize why something like that would make sense uh, in terms of cost per view or hour or how it drives subscribers. Sure. I, th I think that, it, you know, I think with WWE, in the U.S., you're probably not going to see Netflix, you know, bid there is my guess. Um, but in India, where you have real struggle for Netflix and they need a beachhead because they haven't been able to create their own, you have a, you know, whatever it is. I, I think Kabaddi is probably the second most popular sport, but maybe WWE's third. I don't know. I just think it'd be interesting if Google was a bidder seriously, because Google sort of has pushed never away shown sports. interest. Right? Well, they did before. No, no, no. I mean, they were broadcasting major league baseball games on YouTube and they oh, yeah. had shown interest and then they really pulled away. And so if Google was serious about getting back into sports, it would be fascinating. Internationally, it seems like though, right? In the US, it's it almost seems like their their sports strategy is just YouTube TV. It's like if you want sports, you need television. And if you need television, the best way to get television is YouTube TV. And the marketing campaign around it has very much been tied to sports, as it has for Hulu, Joel Embiid. You know, Hulu is live sports. Fuck Joe. Last night hurt. I digress. <laughs> um, Brandon, are you still upset about last night? Nah, I I gave up the set with uh with this season. The second first when when Joe's uh, finger happened, I like half gave up on the season. Then when his face got broke, um, I was like, the season's over. So I had already come to terms with it. I think what's more alarming when you, you look at the Sixers is Harden just sucks. Does Brandon that care more day. about does Brandon care more about TMT stocks or the Sixers? At Rich, I'm passionate about everything I do, as you pointed out. You could say the same for any of my interests, right? Is Brandon more passionate about fish or TMT stocks? Or fish. The Sixers or the Mets? We're we're, we're moving on. Walter Warner <laughs> Peter Adderton. Yeah, Peter Adderton, friend of Lightshed, um, tweets 
regarding the dish investor day that occurred on Tuesday, 95% on enterprise, 5% on retail for the time allocated dish wireless investors conference. That's not great English, but you get the point. (laughs) That's maybe the most attractive thing for investors of dish. If you ask me, and the point that he was making is the time that they spent, you know, talking about their, their consumer wireless strategy was not great. It was, it was a, a conference mostly about enterprise rich people were asking where you were. And I was like, exactly. Wait, 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 I don't get it. I mean, I like Vegas. No, 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 I I do enjoy Vegas about good luck bundle. I I don't understand. Including the head of the pay TV business. I'm like, you're not even presenting. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I was just a rich Greenfield fanboy. Uh, wanting to get up and close. I mean, we should do our podcast once from Vegas. That would be fun to do, like to record it in Vegas. Yeah, next Vegas. next CES, we'll that do would it. Be in, fun, but we'll probably all be in different hotel rooms on Zoom. <laughs> but as you know, many of your compatriots now cover or continue to cover Dish with a legacy like yours in media. So their eyes were clearly glazing over during most of this presentation, given it was highly technologically or technically. Um, focus. I guess I could use either word. Yeah, um, both work. Focused on the technology of what they were hoping to accomplish, and I think that's very hard to do, especially when you're talking about something new and disruptive and focused on the enterprise, a, a, an end market that not a lot of people in our world focus on or understand. Right? It's a very consumer-focused um, analyst group and even investor group. So I think. That was the challenge that they had, you know, as, as, as you know, we were out at the AWS reInvent conference and this was a lot of repetition, but it's, it's certainly, um, they put together, I think a very appropriate, um, presentation for what it was. They had vendors there. There was a guy from Amazon there. There was, there was people from their radio vendors there. So there was a lot of, I think, opportunities for people to explore, how Dish could address what they think is is a very sizable market. The, again, the challenge is people's brains focus on on the retail and and look, they just don't want to. They're going to get the networks built, so the FCC is not going to be able to take their spectrum away. I don't believe, mm-hmm. but they're not going to aggressively load that network until all the ducks are lined up and they've got the network there and you've got the spectrum. In the phones, that's what we in the technology look. Rich's eyes were already glazing over. They're glazing. I have, I have a question though, Walt. Ecosystem. Is, I was about to say. Do you know that word, Rich? Ecosystem. I was listening. He, I, he knows for, what the word I, ecosystem I just, means. I was Please, just, I was just waiting. Podcast, I was waiting. Rich, Rich was checking his Twitter to see if anyone else at Twitter got fired. No, you were just. <laughs> your eyes were. Glazing I, I'm over, literally staring fine. at the. I'm literally no, staring at the screen because that's what I'm not going to name. I'm not going to call them out, but you know who covers Dish. You know, they're your compatriots and their eyes were were glazing over when they were looking at these charts. Because, but hold Walt. On, Walt, do people just not believe this is going to work? Like they just simply do not believe. Um, there's various levels of disbelief. A, he's not going to build the networks. You know, B, like the market's not big enough. C, like no one's going to want the, the, the product at all. You know, D, like, you know, they don't have no idea how to get in, into consumer at all, even though consumer is just one aspect, I think, of, of what they're attempting to, to go after. So. so, Walt, if we take a step back coming out of that event, right, stock was down 20%. Was the reason the stock was down because people just didn't understand or grasp these more B2B use cases versus if they had presented something consumer, like what, what are people missing? It's possible that that's the case. I think it's also possible that obviously the market was kind of squirrely that day, yeah. but more and more, every but, day, right? And every day, but, but more, and you know, and again, the same goes on the opposite side the stock bounced the last two days, but you could just credit that mostly to the, to the market and risk back on. But I think it was more of like, there were still people out there thinking like he's going to show up and, and say, you know, hey, Amazon wrote us this big check when he clearly said that that was not going to be to, to be the case uh, on Friday. Even people attacking them for you know the thirty or forty dollar a month rate plan, like this is not what their consumer strategy is going to be. That that has not clearly been fully um, revealed. So I think it's. And then lastly, I think Brandon again getting back to the market, like if, if you believe in it. And I do in terms of the opportunity here, it's just long dated. And like people right. 
aren't maybe the last day and a half people were embracing long dated, but a long dated story. No, that's out of Vogue. It's still out of Vogue. Right. It is, but it is what it is. Right. You know? And by the way, let me connect this to something else. Like Charlie went out there and said, like, I'm not going to do all this other, all this bullshit that people in the market do today in terms of like getting, you know, trying to get customers in a non-profitable way. And I just want to connect that to what you said in terms of Netflix and Disney, maybe, you know, taking another look at the budget that they have, you know, for their, in, in my world, that relates to 5G CapEx, meaning that like, if I'm Verizon and my growth is slowed and, and I can't differentiate in the market, are, are we maybe going to see out of Verizon what you were talking about earlier with Disney, where they pull back maybe on that 5G CapEx budget, just like Disney pulls back in content? Why? Because if you're not being perceived as truly differentiated in the market, does that incremental billion or two really make sense for you? Should you slow roll that, right? In a, in a recessionary market. Yeah, the recession. I was just going to point that out. Isn't, isn't one of the big things that happens in every recession is that companies really start to cut their CapEx? I'm sure you've seen that just, you know, for years in, in your world, right? Cut, period. I mean, like, um, who was it? Dara um, at Uber? Dara came out. Um, Dara. Dara, sorry, came out and uh, all the rich there. But that was that was more of my Philly accent coming through. Dara, Dara <laughs> came out. Water. Water. Dara came out, had a glass of water, and then said, <laughs> "We're going to cut back." So you know, look, this is for for Verizon. Like I don't know, like you're you know the perception of you having a big lead over T and and T miss is just not there. It's not resonating in the numbers. So. The capex drop off is supposed to happen in a couple of years. Maybe they, you know, they tweak it down sooner than that. And because, like, if you're that CEO, like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> like, how do you get growth? And like, also, gotta- rates are up, right? And sure. um, I, th- these, have, what are these companies levering? So they're at? in the process of they're three, but they're in the process of delevering down to a point where they repurchase shares. So to your point, Brandon, they could hit their de- their um, leverage target sooner. So if you thought that they were going to buy stock back in 2024, 2023, maybe they pull that forward um, six months and that would be perceived as a given market conditions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's possible. Doesn't sound good for the economy. CapEx cuts. Look, they're not saying that they're doing it. I'm just saying. I know. I know. We're we're thinking out. If we're trying to think out like what, you know, if you're in that seat, what are some of the levers that that get pulled? Um, and again, you, if you're a CEO like Hans or Rutledge uh, or any or you know Stanky, like you could get fired. Okay, Ergen's not getting fired. He can make the long term decisions and think about these long duration ways to, to to go for growth. If you're these other guys, you're making decisions to basically keep your job. Yep, owner versus mercenary. Yep. What's next, Richard? Next. Well, next we have one of our um, favorite topics on the pod, which is channel stores. So (laughs) in this case, it's Deadline Hollywood saying Roku channel adds (laughs) Discovery Plus to the subscription offerings. And the reason I call this out is, first of all, it's not surprising. Um, Discovery has been part of, Discovery Plus has been part of channel stores for a while. What makes it interesting is obviously that Warner Brothers Discovery is now a thing, right? So with the merger. And so the question or the the kind of the elephant in the room, as I like to say, is is HBO Max, which took some real lumps getting out of channel stores, basically so that because the whole idea of like, if you're going to go direct to consumer, why would you want people using the Prime Video app, which is a pretty terrible app, as we've talked about? Like, why would you want that to be the experience where you're not really using HBO Max? You would be using Amazon Prime or in, that, in this case, the Roku channel. Like, why would you want that experience versus owning and controlling the experience? And so HBO and, and the team at Warner Media, you know, back under AT&T, basically went to war with Amazon and pushed back against Roku and, and reclaimed their assets and went direct to consumer only, getting out of channel stores. And here we have a sign of Discovery Plus entering channel stores. And so the question becomes... Are we going to see HBO Max embrace channel stores, which it feels like that's the direction it's heading. Uh, it, it seems like a mistake, but we'll see what they ultimately do. And I think the, the the bigger issue, Brandon, and this comes out of sort of, you know, we've seen this topic sort of grow with Paramount and other companies. 
what even is a subscriber anymore in the DC yeah. world? Like, yeah. you know, a, a direct to consumer subscriber used to mean somebody that you actually had a direct relationship with. But if you don't have a direct relationship, so if you're using Amazon or Roku channel stores, and it's the same as it, it's same as it ever was to quote, quote David Byrne, right? right. Same I mean, as it ever was. You, you're going from the intermediary being the MVPD to in some cases, it's still being the MVPD, right? Or Amazon, or I don't know, maybe Verizon will get in the middle vault at some point, depending on reason, how Plus Play works. Is the reason, though, that they're doing this is because they can't get any more direct subs on their own? I mean, I look at this as like, why did Verizon um, do a deal with the cable companies other than getting the spectrum or, or, em- or enable them in wireless? Why? Because they needed some fucking revenue growth, right? So, yes. The cable companies own those customers now, which in your in your version of this is the the channel store of Roku or whatever it is or of Amazon Prime. But they're you know they'd rather have that revenue than not. And is that the issue? Is that just a reflection of where you are in the market? Oh yeah, yeah. You have. I mean, I think you have to have the revenue at right. this point, especially in this market environment. And I think you have to have the subs to to win back. Isn't that really good news for Roku then? The, the thing, the, the company that I've been negative on for years. Yeah. No, 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 on but, this but, podcast. But, let, but let's just step back. It's not because you can't find new subscribers. I think a lot of this is about churn management, right? This is sort of them trying to figure out because you're going to accept you work in these channel stores, you're going to give up a lot of revenue, but you're going to hope that you get it back in lower churn, maybe even lower customer acquisition costs, right? So your sack is lower, your churn is lower, you you've hope just, like- You literally just described Verizon wholesale deal with cable companies. And again, in my world, the reason for that is like that revenue is better than no revenue. Less revenue than what you would thought you would have gotten if you got them direct or what you would have to pay to get that customer in like giving them a thousand dollar phone. So the difference here is- mm-hmm. If we take, let's just take Amazon, for instance, if you're in the Amazon channel store, you may get some data out of Amazon, but Amazon certainly gets complete data. They know everything you're watching. They know everything you're doing and they're building their own content war chest away from you, right? Like, so they are literally basically inserting and gutting you from the inside. So in the name of helping you, that that is the Amazon business model, right? Where they allow allow third-party sellers (laughs) to come in and then they figure out what's selling and then sell it themselves. It's like, it's as basic as it gets. Come in the water's warm. Yes. (laughs) Dude, I get it. I'm just saying there is no way this is a good decision. It's just, you do it because, Hey, you're four and a half times levered. You want more subs. You think Wall Street likes subs. You don't want to spend the money to get the subs. This is a quick way to have more a subs and probably business. profitability out of the gate, right? Who who hasn't done channel stores? Because you haven't seen because, Netflix. By the way, you haven't Rich, seen it. Don't forget your your CAC is lower. You bring totally. you bring them in. You don't have to market as much. Sure. Right. Everything's your, lower. Your churn is probably going to be lower. You're just not getting the ARPU over the years. Although we have heard reports that companies like Stars talk about higher churn on Amazon because it's so easy to click on and Stars off. Stars is the only one who said that. Come on. I, I know. I just don't, I'm just saying people say it's actually on. not that low. Why don't we get Zaz on a light shed live again to defend his, his decision to do this? Well, first of all, he hasn't decided about HBO Max yet. So we'll be watching that closely. As- okay. But I think you made the first point where if you're putting D plus, Discovery Plus, excuse me, on there, then- that seemed like it would be a leading indicator. It does. Slippery slope, baby. Exactly. Brandon? Yes, sir. Shall I read this? Rebecca Clark. Did I say that right? I think so, yeah. Okay. New, the Match Group, the company behind Tinder, Match, and OkCupid, filed a lawsuit Monday against Google alleging its billing system is anti-competitive, escalating the growing feud between app developers and tech giants that control the app store markets. Can I tell you a little story about this one, guys? Absolutely. We love stories, especially your stories. So on Monday, was a little stressed out, you know, decided I'm going to go down, go for a little walk, like take a walk around the block. And I'm walking around the block and I see someone else pacing around the block with like a coffee cup. Who was it? Joey Levin. 
<laughs> and people may uh, not know who that is. Okay. So obviously CEO of IAC, also board member of match and former CEO of match and had no idea. You know, I, I, so I said, Oh, you, you know, well, like, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, we're reporting earnings in 15 minutes, but the call is until tomorrow. Turned out that 15 minutes later is when this lawsuit dropped. So I wish I had stuck around, <laughs> stuck around and, um, Watched him pace. Yeah, watched him pace for a little longer and then gotten the opportunity to ask him about the lawsuit. Um, but this looks like it's kind of matches now taking the Epic role um, for in what Epic was in the Apple um, case. And they're, they're taking Google on now. And I think it was Google in 2020 said that everyone... Um, who was in the play store had to use from now on um, uh, Google payments, which gives you the app tax. And I think that was going into effect next month. Match has been getting around um, uh, the tax on, on some of their Android subscriptions or a lot of them. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to go for it now. The question really becomes, there is just this, you know, you just everywhere you look, there's just this growing sense that the platforms, the OS, the operating systems really are the ones with power and they're just flexing over and over again, that power. And, and I think that's sort of the, sort of the question. And that's why I think this whole TVOS thing is so interesting is sort of whoever controls it has all the power. We're seeing that time and time again. Like we always thought Facebook was so powerful and yet Apple can dictate terms. And now you're seeing match. Like the OS is so important. And it's, it's you know, I, obviously this week we saw the news that Marcy and Jenks from Comcast was just appointed to head of the charter Comcast TVOS joint venture. We think it'll be called Flex or something like that. But it just makes this battle for TVOS that much more important in my mind, seeing what's happening and all of these you know, legal battles that are happening on the mobile OS, you can see the same thing. If somebody really gets true power, maybe, you know, whether that's, you know, I know we're skeptical that it'll ultimately just be Roku given what Google and others are doing, but the the reward is obviously huge. And it's just, it's sort of amazing when you think back that Comcast and Charter, that it took until 2022 for them to figure out that they should be in this game, yeah. given how powerful the OS is. Yeah, uh, I'm done with my uh, soliloquy. Okay. Yeah, Every, everyone is passionate today. Amazing, but not surprising, perhaps. Yeah, I guess not surprising at all. Always slow. So um, friend of the shed, Dave Gandler, Fubo. <laughs> <founder>. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. That was uh, the joke of the, I don't know, podcast. Brandon, I don't know Brandon, if I'm going to give you, you the said, month yet. Brandon, you said we were trying to be funny on the podcast. So yes, I love it. By the way, that was amazing. Me, someone from Dish was bringing up that tweet to me as well. The back and forth with Gandler on buying the stock <laughs> or selling his stock and uh, and basically buying the same amount back for like a fraction of the cost. It was, I mean, look, he's, he, he knows how to trade his paper. And by the way, I think he bought it back at 280 that's two dollars at three eighty cents, not two hundred three fifty. He's at three forty six. This yeah, no, he's this man knows how to trade. He's a paper. great investor. <laughs> Maybe his next stop will be hedge fund. So the, the reason I brought this tweet up is because it sort of speaks to everything that is wrong in the content business or the media and cable network programming business. So this Kevin A, I don't know who this is, but some random consumer who goes by at Go Black Marlin uh, tweeted out. <laughs> Um, basically, at David tweeted out, be the first to offer individual channels by choice, 171 channels in your menu. And all I want is 20, including my local sports that you don't even offer. You have no Bally Sports Florida is a deal breaker. I'm sure you could work it out. And then Gandler responds, quote, tweets it and says, unfortunately, our content deals preclude us from developing custom bundles. No shit. Like, it's funny. Randall Stevenson. AT&T yep. thought he was going to get yep. custom, you know, non-sports bundles. I still remember him on stage at that Wall Street Journal conference saying, we're going to have so much power. We're going to reform the bundle. Remember going the Philo, Rich? Remember Philo? And look, everyone, everyone keeps 
thinking that they have some way of deconstructing the bundle. But the problem is that consumer is exactly why the bundle's cracking and why you're seeing cord cutting accelerate from low single digits to mid single digits and even higher is because there is no choice. Like you don't have any choice and it's it's not going to change. It's the same story the crow told me. It's the only one he knows. Yes, but but the reason it's Robert Hunter. But I wanted to tie in sort of what's interesting about this week on that topic is there was these comments by Disney about taking ESPN over the top that got investors sort of very intrigued of like, you know, the bundles getting intrigued or panicked, Rich. It seemed like, like, interestingly, the reaction I was hearing from clients was a little bit of panic that that might be coming soon. Well, they're panicked because they're worried it's going to cripple Disney's cash flow, right? Like that this yeah. is a big investment to make this switch. Yep. But, but the reason, let's just go back to why is Disney even considering this or even talking about it is because, look, we've talked about this on the podcast before. If subscribers keep going down and sports costs keep going up, your EBITDA gets eviscerated, right? Like you can, you can paint a story where in five years, ESPN has negative EBITDA, which is sort of why we keep talking about it should be moving into course cost cutting mode, basically harvest cash out of this thing because it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And so I just think you have these sort of the juxtaposition, right? Of the bundles inflexible, cord cuttings accelerating. So do you rip the content out and start going over the top and make it worse? Do you just harvest cash until it dies? Like this is what these companies are all- It's interesting, Rich, because it seems like there has been a tolerance to this point from the MVPDs for the ability to double dip because you've seen streaming services duplicate the content, right? That is in the linear bundle and get away with it. Why can't ESPN try and do that a little bit and then a little more? And then a little more, and then a little more. Hard. You can try. I mean, but others are doing it, are they not? And even with sports, or am I? But what would you want ESPN to move over? What do I, I don't know. The NBA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. I think the honest answer to your question is we're going to learn a lot in September when we see what Thursday Night Football looks like on only on Prime Video, how many viewers does it does? Like, right. you know, historically, it'll it does be 20 a good litmus test of whether the market is ready to watch that content uh, over the top. Right. Like, I'm not, if there's a good matchup, I know Walter will be watching because he loves football. But do you get, do you the get casual sort of, viewer? Correct. And do you lose 10 million right. casual because, viewers? Because, because, most people are not starting their viewing experience well like directly on uh, Amazon. It does go back though, and this may be out of left field though, to the power of the operating system because the operating system and the ability you know to have meta search and to go across all the apps and surface things to you the way that um, Google uh, what is it? Chromecast. What's the new word for Google? Uh, Google TV. Google TV, um, not YouTube TV. The way Google TV does it, I open my operating system and then I am suggested, you know, this on Netflix, this on HBO, this on YouTube TV. All right. So if that's where you're starting your experience in the operating system, they have the ability to drive people to, uh, to Amazon to watch that game. Pretty powerful. It's going to be really interesting to watch what happens. So we'll see. Uh, let's move on because I think we've got um, we've got a little bit of we're going to move into crypto a little bit, Brandon. Crypto. Uh, and you're going to well, crypto NFTs, and you're going to walk us through how Roblox is thinking about this. Should we play the audio first? Well, I just read very quickly read the Instagram NFTs on Instagram. What's that? star it looks like the after school special star like a a shooting star yeah we're testing ways for creators and collectors to share nfts they've created or own on instagram with a shimmer effect now what's interesting is that what's a shimmer is is embracing i don't know what a shimmer effect is it's a shimmer 
I don't know what a shimmer <laughs> effect is. I literally I, don't know. I need to Google. You don't know the word. It's I need like to hit a, a the little, Google. It kind of like washes over with light and twinkling. So, oh, beautiful. Yeah. So it's kind of like, what does uh, Twitter use for NFTs? The octagon or whatever it is to show that it's on chain. Rich, that they'll use a shimmer instead. Okay. But bottom line is all of the kind of Web2 platforms are embracing Web3, even as we're kind of seeing, you know, crypto assets fall in valuation. And let's move on to uh, to CEO Dave. And then as fans um, are um, hanging out in brand experiences, you can imagine a wide range of activities within those experiences. That includes acquiring virtual items, just like in the physical world, that can include drops, that can include limited numbers of those items that our community would be interested in acquiring, that can include items related to stars, celebrities, athletes that our community would like to acquire virtually. And, and then I think longer term, that gets into the virtual item is tied with a physical item, either through traditional shopping or possibly in the future, uh, those virtual items are bought. Those virtual items can go off our platform wrapped in an NFT. And that NFT is really the equivalent of owning um, and redeeming the physical item. So yeah, I think it goes way beyond performance into um, you know the whole life cycle of a fan with a brand um, and wanting to off platform. I don't think. Yeah, I've I mean, obviously, obviously, the the key for me here is Roblox has been so insular. We've said that they can't become the the AOL of the metaverse, if you so, will. So what, what they just needed changed? to open what up. What just changed? Um, well, there's, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. To use Walt's favorite word, um, and we could talk about brands and the fact that brands are so important to the build out of this of this platform brands and ip holders and we've talked about uh, just the insatiable demand um for both to to build experiences and kind of there not being enough studios to execute them at this point um but the rest of it is kind of a bull case for crypto and talking about how crypto is going to be very much entwined with the with the future of the internet is like okay digital representations of physical items and now interoperability where you can wrap your item in an nft and take it off of roblox into you know the broader digital world which is very new i would say coming out of them someone said that he alluded to it um at the developer conference a month or so ago um didn't see that but uh it's it's definitely a shift in tone for those guys i would say and something that it feels like that more definitely than a shift in tone it, excited it seems like the, opening the crypto up. world and then it's the rest you're talking about like things like drops um you know ways to express fandom so a, a real embracement of sort of the principles and ethos of of crypto here which is sort of a good segue into Major League Baseball, which is what? also doing that. Oh, so rare. Well, it's a perfect segue because Major League Baseball is trying to figure out how they embrace fandom, how they get people, not just, I mean, obviously there's still the physical world of trading cards that I guess will soon be owned by fanatics as tops uh, sort of implodes, but, uh, and got sold to fanatics, but in the digital world, so rare has sort of come up with a it's sort of, I guess it's a combination of uh, NFTs and fantasy sports basically with the whole goal of adding utility to NFTs, making it more gamified and creating a reason for people to want to engage. And they've been very successful overseas with European football, soccer. Now they're bringing it into the U.S. with Major League Baseball. We had uh, we had the team on Lightshed Live earlier in the week. But I just think it's interesting that, you know, every everyone seems to be looking at how do they build that word that you said, Brandon, building fandom. Like it, that's yep. honestly what it seems like this is all about. And it's not just collecting. How do you build sort of interactivity trading? Like, how do you make it more than just simply collecting? 
Well, I think this kind of combines um, two of the real drivers um, behind sports engagement besides just the drama of sports. One is the fantasy aspect and the sort of gamification among the fans, which is obviously was a huge lift earlier to baseball in rotisserie, rotisserie, and then fantasy football, where it really took off, and then collectibles. And you know, to differentiate from what uh, Roham and Co are doing with Top Shots, they're adding actual utility to the collectible themselves here. Let's move on to, we have two sort of, um, I guess both are sort of going to be considered funny, uh, but we'll start with the first one. Walt, since you're our resident rower, could you kick us off? <laughs> Joe is also a rower, by the way. Yes, he was much better than I was. So Peloton, really? um, yeah, absolutely. Peloton teases new rower. I guess they're talking about what's known as an ergometer at homecoming event. So this is just another product that Peloton is putting out there that I guess maybe going back to their very loyal users that are that just gobble up these high-priced clothes hangers to you know sell them some more equipment and get them into the ecosystem. So I assume you will not be buying a Peloton rower. I still have a, a ergometer that I use sporadically. Um, that's probably twenty-five years old. Works just fine, thank you. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, um, Apple fitness has a trainer so i have my i can have a tv set up and who and who was also a, a quality rower at a real school um that you know does training sessions so it's a I real can, school i, I thought penn was a real, real school. <laughs> uh, i mean those that compete and finish maybe let's call it top 20 i'll say maybe okay in rowing where, where was penn in rowing well, when I was there, we won the national championship. Shut up. Did you? Yes. Yeah. You won the national championship. How did I not know this? Yeah. Wow. That's insane. No really You're asked. a college national champion. Well, it was not my specific boat. It's like a team thing. That's okay. It, varsity in the day. it definitely is okay. I'll, I'll still take T- it. Too so, bad yeah. they didn't have name, image, and likeness in the NCAA back then. <laughs> I, I'm sure that. I'm sure that there'd be no interest in the name, image, and likeness of rowers. Maybe we could put that little star thing from the other slide. Maybe we could put that next to Walter. Next name to Walter. Yeah. Yeah. National champion, comma, Walter Pysik, yeah. comma. Yeah. I don't think Penn is as competitive as they used to be, um, but my high school is is highly competitive. One or, you know, has done very well in getting to Henley. And as Joe points out via text, the since this kind of links into our crypto world, the oh, Winkle well, buy. It's all coming together. Rowers. It's all coming together. <laughs> the Winky. Um, yeah, the I don't know. Buy. But there's a there's other rower, there's other interactive rowers that I but can I just tell you that the, and I actually when I was in Vegas, I used one of these um aqua rowers there. Um, it's fine. Like no one actually, whenever I see people at gyms getting on, no one knows how to row and it's, and it's honestly, it's awful. It's an awful thing. And for whatever reason, 15, for whatever reason, the calorie burn that it shows in the computer is not as much as when you run, which is ridiculous. Cause if you put 15 minutes on a That's, rower versus, uh, a, I a swear to God, that so makes no sense. This is, this is no joke. So I used to, you know, you go into the gym. I still go to the gym, but you know, you look at the machines and it's Wait, like, you oh, go to the gym. Yeah. I, mean, dude, I didn't notice. I'm jacked. I'm jacked. Um, and I always, I'd go on the rower and it'd be like six calories a minute. I'm like, this is a fucking waste of my time. I could go on the treadmill or the elliptical and the elliptical feels way easier than the rower. And I was getting like 14 calories a minute. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's so just- what, what is, is this? What is it a mistake or is it like no the idea. arms don't burn calories like the First legs? All, do? Well, and there you and there is the error that most people have when rowing. It's not arms, it's all legs. The arm follow through is like it should be de minimis. Rowing oh, is all legs. So you legs when you back. like kind of like push out, yeah, it's like no, there's no pushing out there because there's no tension there. But when you're pulling in, it's the follow through on your legs. It's it's just legs. legs all right, you're back. gonna have to take me out on the schuylkill this summer. <laughs> Uh, let's go to our. I don't understand. Maybe we could catch a shoe or something. Maybe we could catch a Ben Simmons jersey floating in the water, or maybe a a hardened one. Brandon, (laughs) potentially the best crypto source of all time. Go, dude. 
This is amazing. When you're getting ads out of market, Washington Nationals, Crypto 101, you have questions, we have answers at Terra underscore money. Crypto clear, 101 is- presented by Terra. But For just those to be clear, don't- this is their Twitter account. Yes. Yes, this is the Washington Nationals Twitter account. The day after Terra completely evaporated off the face of the earth, and we're, we're watching Mets games, and all the seats behind home plate say Terra on them. I guess you got to be careful who your sponsors are. The money's good and everything, but you're stuck with that. Well, maybe if they can't pay their bills, they'll move on to a new and sponsor. And for those that don't know, Terra is a quote-unquote stable coin, which as someone pointed out is like calling something jumbo shrimp. And it's it's basically... <laughs> Oxymoronic. It to, it's asymptoting to effectively zero. zero. I had a friend that bought some at a penny, and I think it's like... I don't even know what you call it's it. It's a fraction of a penny now. I mean, it just keeps asymptoting. But this is a very interesting thread. If anyone wants to hear some of the conspiracy theories about why it happened and somehow someone made maybe $800 million on the trade, but. Please contact Walter Pisick. It's walt at lightshedtmt.com for, for the story. Let's, let's turn up Joe Galone's. Second cho- musical choice of the day for a little flippity flip flop fly. Flop flop. What is it? Is this a '60s song? I don't this know. This is 1965. 1965. Jody Miller. There you go. Classic alone, giving a song from the '60s. Should we play I, some I, boys on I loved his choice of "Don't Worry, Be Happy." Though it sort of fits well, though, doesn't it? Fit well with uh, Forrest Gump. It's not a bad. Well, I mean, Forrest Gump went through all the years, though. Yeah. So. I understand. This does make me want to dance like this. S and P's up three percent. Where are we going to be finished up or down next week? Nasdaq's up four. Yeah. So that's Hell yeah. Feel happy. Of course, it's only twelve fifteen. So by, it's, by and we're ready for the market to do its flip and flip, flip flop flop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have a wonderful week, everyone. We'll see you next week for 107. Thanks, everyone.